Training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Pendola Project. This is your host, Matt Pendola. And this is your other host, Jake Parker, here with episode 65. Matt, this is the first time that we have done a live podcast in a while. Thank you all so much for being patient with us while we tried to find some new recording space. And look, we did eventually. Matt, we are practicing our social distancing because you are at least six feet away from me in your office. Yeah, man. Well, you know, Jake, I'm very grateful. I know that this is a tough time. And of course, I wish it could be without any sadness or without any loss, but I am grateful for the time it gives me with my family and what I've been able to do with my team. You guys are amazing. And just having our our product help people right now, we did give out free training to uh, anybody who wants it when you sign up for our newsletter. And I think a lot of you listening have, but if you haven't already, be sure to go to our website at pendolatraining.com and you can just sign up for our newsletter. It'll give us your information. We'll be able to send you off our training app. If you want it, we've got it. Other than that, Jake, I would say that just nice being back here in the flesh with you. Agreed, man. It's been a while. And similar to you, man, I'm, I'm, kind of taking this time to reprioritize. I'm getting really in touch with what is important to me. And I think this pandemic is going to have a lasting impact, not just on me, but uh, probably on our whole world. And it's, uh, it's a scary time, but in if I could be the optimist that I try to be, it's also a time for opportunity and I'm trying to make myself better because of it. And so getting back here and, and doing this podcast live with you again, this feels like what I want to focus my time on and helping our audience become better versions of themselves. That's what I got into this for. And I think that is just illuminated at a time like this. That's well said. And I know that you're in demand, buddy. This Life Ain't For Everybody has been playing on our podcast for the last few episodes. I'm very grateful. I want to say thank you to Chad Belding for not only doing those podcasts with me, but allowing us to share that content on our podcast with you. And I uh, know that he's actually using you now, Jake, as a producer as well. Is he's that right? got some work for me and uh, I'm excited about it, man. And so, you know, that's just another example of find the opportunities and set yourself up for them and they'll, they will come to you. So doing this podcast with you, you know, Chad, Hey, now I know Chad too. And, and the whole team over there at this life ain't for everybody podcast, him, Tom, and all of his great uh, employees and guests. It's, it's been a great challenge and yet uh, I'm really looking forward to continuing some more and if you haven't listened to that one check it out this life ain't for everybody you might like it because uh, I do sounds good Jake and of course on today's podcast we're gonna focus on what you can do with your calisthenics with your body weight training at home how to maximize that on our newsletter we end up going through a lot of the bullet points and details so be sure to read about that but we just talked, frankly, about how we can get better at home on our own with principles like time under tension, with giving more attention to our technique and to our tempo for our breathing. A lot of good stuff in there that we may not be thinking about or we can certainly improve upon. I know that I've actually been surprised on paper my training sessions looked like they were going to be a little too easy. And then when I got through them, I realized, wow, it's probably been too long since I've really slowed things down and just done the basics. So I'm actually really grateful for this experience and I'm right there with you guys. And for me, it's all about the intention behind your training. And there's also a lot more that you can do at home than I had ever imagined. And now with this time without the gyms that I go to, I'm finding some really cool cool ways to exercise at home, Matt. And so that's what today's episode is about, how to maximize your efforts and really get the most out of your time with your training at home. Let's get on with it. Matt, episode 65. 
I'm gonna have to post some pictures about this because we've literally got those pads that like fold up and then you can jump on them. And you know, some of them say no shoes and like, okay, you can do it. And these are what's covering our walls right now, as well as the, uh, the neon blue AstroTurf on the floor. <laughs> the Pendola Blue Classic. So I do want to give a quick shout out. Um, we are using the uh, podcast equipment from one of my other shows where I'm not really on air on that show. That's uh, mostly just a producing gig, but that show is Reno Real Estate Radio Show. Tom, Mike, and Kevin, thank you guys so much for giving us uh, access to this equipment. You uh, were real lifesavers as soon as the, the radio station that Matt and I usually record in was no longer available because as I'm sure you've heard there's a little bit of a pandemic going on right now yeah man well jake thanks for having that contact in the first place and yeah i want to thank those guys for helping out that's that's so great community and helping each other out and i want to pay it forward so hopefully those guys will want to maybe try our app out and try our fitness app see how that works for them Speaking of which, I think that was a great time to let people know more about it, Matt. We have mentioned it in the past, but now that I actually have you here in the room, I want to ask you, how is that going? And I mean, what's the feedback been like so far? Yeah, you know what, Jake? It was about 10 months ago that I had the idea or I said, we're going to finally go ahead and start our own app, our Pendola Training app. And it's a big project. You have to get all the videos downloaded that you want to prescribe to clients and that you want to put together for programs. It's a, it's a lot of work up front. And we started to do it a little bit at a time. A lot of mistakes were made. You figure out what works, what doesn't. And I'm so glad that we had started that process that long ago because conveniently enough, all we really had to do once this all started was to put it together into actual training sessions and programs, which we hadn't really started that yet. And I'd also been working with Nevada Physical Therapy. The owner of that is John Hodges, good friend of mine, and he's been helping me a lot where we're working together on how to do return to sports programs for our athletes and also how to do more self-evaluations so that you can understand how your body moves a little bit better and what will serve you best in training. And I wanted to be able to have that kind of a setup for people who come into the programming and using the apps. Now, that all being said, we're still working on getting all of that together, but I'm very proud of what we've been able to help people with so far. A lot of people have given me great feedback. I was just talking to you before we started today. One of our clients saying that he's getting addicted to calisthenics now. It's a great time to start if you're not into it yet. Uh, I promise by the end of this, we're all going to be into calisthenics. Right. So just so you're aware, if you don't know already, if you do go onto our website at Pendola Training, then you're going to be able to sign up for our newsletter. And by signing up for our newsletter, we'll have the ability to, to send you an invitation to join our app. And once you get onto our app, we will have training sessions on there available to you. They're free, we're offering them for free. Right now, we're just all about, just like these guys helping us out, giving us some equipment when we need it, we're trying to do the same. Um, we know people want to be able to stay healthy and strong, and they need to stay in their homes many times. They just have to do their workouts in their basement, using their kitchen floor, doing drills off the stairs. We've had a lot of fun, actually, figuring out what kind of training sessions we could put in there. And Aaron and I got to work. We've been doing a lot of videos in our own home. So in our series coming up next week, it's all actually Aaron and I in our home doing the workouts, the training sessions. And that'll be a lot of fun to give out as well. But yeah, if you go on to our website, again, you can sign up. And we are doing bodyweight training only right now. We're going to talk today a little bit about how you can make the most out of bodyweight training because there is some suggestions that I have there. I think that most people want to listen in to maximize their training. Do not think that bodyweight training is easy. It doesn't have to be. And don't think it's too hard either. It doesn't have to be. Some people get intimidated by push-ups and pull-ups and things like this, single leg squats, 
balance movements like RDLs, single leg RDLs. It doesn't have to be intimidating. We have a lot of ways that we can maximize benefits and make good progress just by understanding how to supplement the exercises, Jake. And I think it's a great opportunity to learn that exercise to me is really as hard as you want to make it. And nothing exemplifies that more than body weight exercise, because like you're talking about, uh, let's take push-ups for example, I could watch a thousand people do a thousand push-ups each, and I could probably make it more difficult in about 10 seconds. You know what I mean? You go to the gym and you see these guys like, and, and girls, everybody doing rapid fire push-ups. And I'm like, congratulations. That's a really high number of reps that you just did, but do two in about 20 seconds and then come talk to me. And I, I just, it's hard to get that through people's heads that it's about how much focus you put into the movement. That's where the benefit is going to be. So this is where our FIT acronym comes in. So the first thing we think about is focus. Like you were just saying, if the more we're going to focus on the movement, probably the more we're gonna get out of it. And then we look at our intention. What kind of intention, in other words, is this relative to our goals? What kind of intention do we have in this movement? And will it serve us? Will it get us stronger or faster, whatever we're looking to do? And then, of course, T can be for technique, mainly stands for training, but also even for tension. So those are the three main things I think about. And it is extremely important that we're actually we're going to talk a lot about the tension part today as well, but of course, it's extremely important that the technique is in there. For all of our archetypes, we can learn better technique, especially if we focus on breathing through those archetypes. And a lot of elite athletes that I've worked with, you'd be surprised to find out that they can't get into a squat position and just breathe. And you're talking about real breathing, not the... <laughs> Not the, I'm doing so many reps. I mean, like diaphragmatic breathing, right? Where you're trying to push a soccer ball out of your belly. Okay, so Jake, this is a great example. Breathing is really important to control in your movements. But let's just take something like running, for example. Okay. When I'm out there running, I can't have breathing as slow and controlled as I can when I'm doing the push-up that you mentioned. So I wanna take advantage, in my opinion, of being able to really slow the breathing down and control that as much as possible, really providing the correct time under tension and intention in that push-up by breathing in through my nose on the way down and then being able to express that breathing out a little more forcefully, even through pierced lips. And that is an expression of breathing that I can now carry over to that run. Even though when I'm running, I'm not going to breathe that slowly. I'm going to focus on breathing out, say, for three steps, breathing in for even four steps. That's going to be a different expression. But the more that I've trained my diaphragm, the more that I have used my transverse abdominus in my exercises then the more likely I'm gonna be able to express that when I wanna use it relatively for my sport or my goal. And I don't know about you, Matt, but I feel like that kind of breath training, if that's even the right term, it makes me more engaged. And so I can even like kind of feel how a different, a run will feel so different after having done a, a training session with something like push-ups with really intentional breathing, my whole body, when I start to breathe like that, it's like I'm paying more attention. And I, I don't know if that's just a subconscious side effect or if that's really like a big, big emphasis, if that's one of the goals of that type of, of breath technique, but it really works. And I, I enjoyed that kind of focused, intentional exercise because I feel like I'm getting so much more bang for my buck. Yeah, it makes it more challenging, at least if you're if you're really paying attention to your breath. It's slower, it's more deliberate, and so it's not over as quickly, I guess. But if you can make it through that mental hurdle, man, you just feel like a superman. So let's talk about the intention because you're right. I think that it does make a difference. And why it makes a difference, there's 
more than just breathing involved, actually. Let's just take your grip, for example. A lot of times when we focus on grip, we're thinking about actually grabbing onto a bar or something like that. But in the position, when you're in a push-up position, you're actually providing some grip strength with your fingertips. You should be. Which is, that's a unique position you can be in. Now, I'm not saying that you're supposed to put all your body weight on your fingertips. Just for people at home trying to attempt that, that's, I can't do that either. I've okay? seen people do that. I don't know how they do that. Yeah, we're not, we're not trying to do some sort of crazy ninja training here, but we are trying to maximize the benefit as much as we can of creating tension. So if I put a little bit more pressure into my fingertips, even by the way, it takes a little bit of a setup, but I've mentioned before, I believe on this podcast, if you take a rubber band and you just intertwine that band around each finger and you open up and extend your fingers out each way, it's a great way to get that extension training for your hands so you don't have issues with, let's say, carpal tunnel would be an issue that you might have with a lot of desk work. So that's something that I do with some of my executive clients that spend a lot of time at the desk. But that's also something you can do to understand how to start get better tension in your fingertips on a push-up. Just go ahead and get a couple rubber bands and use that to spread your fingers apart. And like I say, I will go ahead, mainly my fingers, not my thumb, but I'll take the four fingers and I'll intertwine that single band and I can still spread the fingers out. Then I'll go ahead and do my push-ups, and almost guaranteed you'll do more push-ups. Yeah, and that's an interesting thought. I have never considered that because that's literally the opposite of what I'm doing all day where I'm typing, and so I'm flexing my fingers or you know, holding a pen, flexing my fingers. Matt, what's your opinion on the uh, push-ups on your knuckles? Yeah, no, I like them, Jake. I think that doing those type of neutral wrist push-ups can be fantastic if you have at home, say some perfect push-up handles, something like that. That's great. If not, you can just grab something soft, like a couple of towels, so that you don't get bloody knuckles. Yeah, doing your it workout. can be pretty uncomfortable, especially on like a hardwood floor. You don't you don't want to do that. Get a, a mat or something. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely have seen some athletes. They're tough guys, and they do it that way, and and that's fine. But there's no need for it. So you you can um, you can use towels, and you can just get that neutral position. But I would just say, as a little bit of a caveat, if you're not used to getting onto your knuckles, if you're not used to that position, just start slowly. You're going to probably notice that you're a little more wobbly. Potentially, you might have to even get at an incline or something like that to build up. So for example, one thing that we did in our video series for the app was doing some incline push-ups on our stairwell. That makes it a little bit easier. Your body weight is a little bit less, in other words, because of that incline position. Your feet would be on the floor, let's say, and then your hands are up on the stairs and you're at, we'll just call it a 45 degree angle, something like that. You may want to start knuckle push-ups that way with your hands wedged into some towels. But either way, I think it's a good way to be able to accomplish a push-up, especially when we talk about doing push-ups. And sometimes people are not in a place where they are able to do any push-ups off the ground yet. And that doesn't mean that we should abandon doing push-ups. But at the same time, doing push-ups off of your knees, that's a common thing that a lot of people will do. It's not my favorite. It, it's not the worst thing in the world, don't get me wrong, if, especially if you're really focused on the eccentric. In other words, coming down to the ground really slow and then pausing three, four, five, then pushing back up. But what I find in general is that people don't get a lot stronger doing their push-ups that way. They can do a hundred push-ups off their knees, but as soon as they try to go full off the ground, you see those same breaks again. And that's mainly because the lever, you haven't trained your body to work off of the entire length of your levers, including head to heel strong as steel. And that's the phrase that I 
talk about a lot with my clients so they can think about it that way. It's head to heel strong as steel. So as much as possible, we wanna be as athletic as possible and we wanna get into positions where we are going to load head to heel, which means if I am on an incline but on stairs, I can go ahead and do a push-up with good form and I am now on my toes Head to heel, strong as steel. I prefer those. Yeah, I do too. That The push-ups on your knees, that's a big difference. And, you know, if you're at that point in your learning curve, I don't see anything wrong with it. But as soon as you get, you know, onto your toes, off your knees, you'll notice the huge difference. Um, I want to move to uh, the the other ways that people can use calisthenics really quick. But first, I just want to say uh, I've been using my coffee table for my incline pushups. I don't have any stairs, a single floor, uh, single floor apartment, but uh, coffee table, as long as it's secured next to the wall, you're, you're good there. And for those of you who are maybe at the opposite end of the spectrum, you can also put your feet up. So if you are, if you have stairs and you need your pushups to be more challenging, maybe you've tried this really slow breathing technique, you know, I was trying for 10 seconds on the way down and a 10 second hold. I didn't quite make it that long because I was going off my breath and you know, you get a little out of breath. You don't want to hold there, but um, I was probably somewhere around seven to eight seconds on the way down, six to seven seconds hold. And then one quick second on the way uh, back up with my, my feet on the coffee table. And that, I mean, I did like five and I was, I was good. That's it. Okay. So you just brought up a couple really good points and Especially because of the situation we've been in, I can honestly say we haven't had as much much a chance to go over some of these things that we're talking about today, but your experience and my experience, it's always been one of the things that I love talking about with you, Jake, because we both kind of sing the same tunes, but we've had different experiences mm -hmm. there. And what I have found with Jake, with all of my training None of it has been as easy to do as I think it looks like on paper, right? It always is harder by the end of that training than it looked like on paper because the intention was there. And so when I look at how somebody's doing a push-up, most of the time, 20 seconds, they've done 20 reps or something like that. Now, with a squat, same thing with, you know, with doing all different types of exercises, not even just body weight, but if you just look at any gym across America when they were open, people were doing one rep per second on things or maybe slightly slower than that, but not much. So most of the time I would see sets that would last less than 30 seconds for sure a lot of times probably less than 20 seconds, but yet the goal was to create a stimulus where muscle is going to grow. And in my experience, that's probably not enough time to get that to happen. I mean, a sure, a little bit, fine, yes. But I was taking, um, we were doing, my girlfriend and I were doing like a, a sculpting type of yoga thing on YouTube the other day, and she had us doing these weird plie squats and that was the point was how many reps can you do? You know, we're going to go for, I think it was like 30 seconds, you know, fast as you can, fast as you can. And I'm like, that's not what I need. And so having the knowledge that I do, I, I slowed it down a little bit, but I just think that I don't know that a lot of people realize that. I think a lot of people think that the goal is just do more reps. Okay. So let's talk about this subject because when it comes to time under tension, I do think that knowledge is power. You're going to get much better results if you understand what you're training for. What What is the why here? So will you get results if you're doing as many clapping pushups as you can in five seconds? If you have gotten in your base work and you can do really good, solid, mechanically strong pushups, and now you're doing clapping pushups, Yes, that's a, that's a great plyometric movement to do for especially my clients that are training for a specific event and they were trying to get now a little bit more powerful or just adding some good variety into their training and making sure we are working on their power, especially their explosiveness. Variety is the key word to me there, as long as that's not the only thing you're doing. Right, so this is about 
five seconds to seven seconds of work a lot of times with my athletes. Now, when I say explosive clapping push-ups, some of my athletes may be pushing off the ground for a foot, a foot and a half, clapping and having their hands hit benches besides their body, then dropping down to the ground, exploding off the ground again. And there in seven seconds, we usually make it 6.5 seconds. That's truly a lactic or less. And that means essentially, guys, that you're going to be super explosive. And that's all we're worried about. That's type 2X, okay? And that's going to be awesome for developing that power as long, again, as you've built the base for it. And it can offer some nice variety. But for most people, they're not getting in enough of their overall sets that really meet their goals. And the goal right now with body weight training, even with my athletes I'm talking about, because they're not in season and because their seasons were essentially canceled, is doing more time under tension and developing that base as much as possible because the more their base is developed, the more explosive they can be in the future when their season does or when they are back into their season again. And we do want to work on that explosiveness for that specific event or reason for that specific event, right? So 40 seconds to 60 seconds is generally the amount of time that we want to take in this kind of training right now. Most people aren't even doing half that. Anything over 30 seconds tends to be a little bit better for that muscle growth. So that's part of it. But the time under tension part is huge for just developing overall base strength. So when I say muscle growth, again, doesn't matter, man, woman, child, whatever you're doing, if you want to get good, strong, lean muscle tissue, focusing on time under tension is always going to serve you. And especially starting with body weight exercise, this is the perfect time to learn this and to get humble and not to worry about how much weight we're lifting, but throw out the reps. When you see my programs, especially for my beginners, especially we throw out the reps because people are so concerned with doing three sets of 20. They're, they forget that 10 of those repetitions they did were probably not great. Or just the regular guy who asks you on the street, how many reps should I do? How many times have you answered that question? Right. And, and nobody is going to do the same exact amount of reps is, is to your point as the person next to them, unless they have very, very, very similar genetics and training and gym age and all those things. But then even then, on any given day, if I had a twin and we're both walking in to do the training session together on that day, on any given day, I could just feel a little stronger on that day and be able to do a little bit more than my twin. And on the next day, maybe it's his turn to do that. So you really have to take into account what you are excited to do that day and what you have the energy to do. So sometimes it may be, say, 16 reps. Sometimes it may be 22 reps. But really what matters is I'm making the most out of the time under tension that I have. So throw the reps out. Part two of that would be to pay attention really, though, to either drop setting or taking small breaks within your training time. So in other words, if I were going to do a minute of push-ups, but at about, let's just say 30 seconds, I can tell that I'm going to start to depreciate my mechanics. I'm gonna start to lose some of my form. Then that's when it's good to come up with a supplemental drop set type of training. So I may go from doing push-ups off of the floor and then continue the push-ups by going onto those stairs. And that way I can continue without losing my form, but, but give my body the stress and benefit I want from that. Yeah, you'll still get that time under tension, but in a proper proper way. So Matt, what about um, 
a lot of these other workouts and, you know, I have nothing against them, but like I, I first heard this term in CrossFit and it was the, the AMRAP. And that's kind of the opposite of what we were just talking about. But AMRAP is an acronym. It sounds for as many rounds as possible. Is that right? Rounds or repetitions. Okay. It would, I guess it would depend on what the uh, session was uh, designed for, but yeah, how many repetitions can, can you get is, is usually the way that I see it. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with challenging yourself and having say a testing day where you might do as many reps as possible, test yourself out maybe on the first day and find out what your set point is for those push-ups, but then three weeks later, maybe check to see that all of this training you've been doing with slower reps, well, let's see if Matt was right. I did all these reps way slower. It was way harder for me. I got way more of a burn, but I don't know if it got me any stronger. Let me see. And you find out that you were able to beat your old score, because I guarantee you with as many times as we put our athletes through our strength testing, after they go through a cycle of training, after they go through six weeks, three to six weeks, right in there, depending on the athlete and the goal, we'll retest them. And usually we see some pretty significant improvements, especially if it's somebody who was more of a beginner. And of course, our athletes that are more elite, sometimes we're happy that they actually even just maintain the same result uh, because of the time of year they're in. But either way, we know it's very productive to do it that way. So other than that, we want to just work on how our intention is for those reps. So if we are doing that as many reps as possible, I don't see that as being an issue, Jake, if we are keeping good sound mechanics and we are holding ourselves accountable to that. But some of my athletes just, they will always cheat to get in more reps. So then, and I'm not saying on purpose, by the way, just, it's just what they're doing. So then what we tend to find it works if you're at home working out or doing these sessions at home, have somebody that is watching you, that is clearing you or counting out your reps and saying, this is how many reps you did with good form that I saw. And then you count them. And so that buddy system can work really well. You keep each other accountable. But for the most part, I like to look at more what is the intention of that training for that session, for that day. For the most part, it's about making or maximizing your intentional tension. So throw those reps out and just focus on really good, high quality work when you're doing it. And I think the next part we should discuss is how much recovery time do we need between these sets, Jake? Because that is a very taxing form of exercise that as many reps or rounds as possible, that to me goes, it gets closer to the, uh, the interval training. Like my heart rate is getting up and not only are my muscles burning, but uh, I'm getting tired and the rest I think is crucial. But again, I think that's where the word variety is important. It depends on what else have you been doing? Is your base, is your foundation strong enough to handle that form of exercise? And, and if it's not, or if AMRAP is all you're doing, be careful because that kind of training is not really getting you I don't know. I guess it's just not the universal answer to your fitness goals. And I, I worry for people that I think that's, um, that's a common misconception. I hear a lot of people like, Oh, well I did 27 pushups in 20 seconds. And I'm like, that's great, man. How many did you do in a, in a eccentric form? Right. Right. And when you talk about getting results, let's, let's just make sure we're all on the same page because most people that are trying to do these workouts for health and for fitness and for life, the real goal here is that they can improve their overall well-being and lifestyle and be able to do the things that they want to do, which is go out and hike and ski and uh, what do you like to mountain climb, don't you? Don't I, I do. I do a little bit of rock climbing. Not good at it, but yeah. All right. So let's take the rock climbing. I, I want to hone in on an example here. 
one of the goals might be to improve your grip for absolutely that. yep that muscle endurance in your forearms and your fingers is essential because you'll notice it immediately as soon as it starts to fail so you could for example take that whole fingertip grip explanation i gave before with the elastic bands now you can start to do some bear crawling with that same fingertip Ooh. grip there's an idea. And then even keep the rubber bands on your fingertips, make it that much more resistant. You, there's a lot of other things you can do. You can take a mini band or a hip circle band. You can put them around your uh, elbows, your forearms, right? There's a lot of different ways you can add more uh, resistance there, but you can even take, let's say, a mini band or a hip circle band and put it around your forearms and keep that position just a little bit wider. And that's going to add some external benefits for you as well. But the point is that's going to be relative to improving your grip for that rock climbing. How much time under tension you need versus how strong you're actually getting, versus how many reps are you doing, these are the things that we want to consider. So it doesn't really matter to me how many reps you did, it matters to me, did you get stronger? So Jake, let's just bring up for example, what would a goal be for you in about a month from now with your rock climbing? I could get that V2 that I keep failing on. It's a, it's a tricky grip, and that's where they start to introduce some new funky grips. And, you know, I'm warming up for maybe 30 minutes, doing some trial routes, and then you get to that V2, and as soon as you have that little tiny, like, pinching grip, I, I'll fail. I can't hold on to it. So that's an idea that you could use doing the bear crawl with the resistance of the fingertip grip slash hip circle. You could also even, you ever hear of fat grips, Jake? No, I don't think so. Are you talking about like a squishy ball? No, fat grips go around bars usually or around dumbbells that makes it thicker to grab onto. So it's harder now to be able to do a pull-up, for example. So I would say, Jake, that those fat grips, since we're not in the gym right now, can be replaced with just, again, some hand towels that you roll up. I was going to say, is that why I've seen you doing pull-ups hanging from little hand towels? Well, that's it. Yeah, that's another form of, of making the grip uh, much tougher. But um, something that you can squeeze onto potentially, or even if you take, like I have, I like to box, so I'll take my hand wraps and I will wrap them around my hands do a little bit of boxing. I have a heavy bag that I can hit in my garage, but I can also just keep them on doing my push-ups, etc. It's going to keep my fingers more spread out. It's going to make it harder to grip onto everything. And then when I go, for example, to do knuckles, I already have the padding around my knuckles. So just buying a, a pair of, I think there may be $20 for a pair of uh, hand wraps for boxing. So Matt, if I could toss it back to that question that you had posed a few minutes ago is how much rest am I taking? And if it's a strength style push-up day, let's take for example, it's usually my rest for me is at least like a minute. And obviously that's going to depend on what kind of tempo I'm doing, how many reps I'm doing. But for the AMRAP, for as many reps in a certain amount of time, how much rest are you in general taking after a set like that? That's a good question. I think that 30 seconds is usually going to be minimum if you've had a minute of work and then you go into, let's say, another set. That's going to be whether or not you have another push-up set ahead of you or maybe you're doing a king set where you're going to do some slippery hamstring floor slides. So those are kind of like doing hamstring curls just on the floor in your socks at home. If you're doing something like that, you're not going to load your upper body. You're going to be loading your lower body and your upper body gets a break. So, I mean, if you have, if you've caught your breath, you can just go from your push-up position, flip around, start doing your slippery floor hamstring curls and probably go right into it if you've caught your breath. But if you want to 
really maximize your strength as much as possible, then you may want to take two or three parts rest. So anywhere between 30 seconds to a minute and a half, 45 seconds to a minute, somewhere in there is probably the most common, but I'd say between 30 seconds to a minute and a half would be the range, depending on what your goal is and what your experience level is and whether or not you are, again, mixing that with a separate movement that is doing, say, a pull to your push to where you can really rest those push muscles while you're working something else. Which reminds me that rest does not always mean that you're sitting down doing nothing. It's active rest. There are, you know, alternatives like you just brought up the the hamstring curl movement that you can do if you're doing, you know, upper body strength day. Rest can mean many things, man. But another sort of a style that I think is really common in these these home workouts that we're all going through right now is Tabata. And that would be for someone who is looking for, I would say, probably some cardio with their strength training. It's a form of, is it fair to call it anaerobic cardio, depending on what kind of Tabata you're doing? But that's the, the two to one ratio, right? Tabata means two parts of work to one part of rest. So 20 seconds work, 10 seconds rest, for example, right? Yeah. And Tabata would be technically aerobic. It's still aerobic. You are working in a more metabolic type of phase when you do that 2010. And that's maybe something you would do at the end for five minutes of fun to really kind of go for it, finish off with something fast. Maybe you have a chair behind you and you're just going to have your squat back, have your butt kiss the chair and stand right back up quickly see how many of those you can do in 20 seconds, maybe 20 reps in 20 seconds, take 10 seconds to recover, and then do it again. See if you can do that for up to, say, five minutes for somebody who's advanced. Um, or you could do reverse Tabata to where you're going to do 10 seconds on and 20 seconds recovery. So you have a little bit more time to recover. Both ways can work, or you can even drop set it to where you're starting off with the 2010, and then you do the reverse Tabata when you start getting tired, so you don't start to compromise your mechanics at all. And of course, before we talked about not worrying about the reps, so there are times when I think dosing in stuff like this for fun and to put yourself into a competitive mode, especially for short periods of time, that can be great. And that can be a good form of interval training that really helps you, excites you, and even pushes you along a little bit further. It's good to sort of walk away feeling like, man, I just did more than I could last week. And that was a really good accomplishment for me. I feel good about this today. Or just, you know, feeling good about getting yourself sweating and working hard. And so at the end, you might want to throw in something like that. We usually do five minutes of fun at the end of all our training sessions, something that's going to be competitive, but fun, but also just not overdone. Usually you want to pick movements though, that are a little bit safer, something like the box squats or squatting back on a chair. That's something that's pretty safe to do risk versus reward, you're you're going to be able to get through a set like that with a lot less risk and you can kind of go for it more. So that's something that we tend to do so we can have something to look forward to at the end of our training sessions, but keeping it effective and, you know, safe. I don't know anyone else who looks forward to a Tabata round, Matt. Five minutes of quotes fun. But the Tabata and most types of circuit training and interval training, whatever, it, that usually is what I will do toward the end of a session, Matt. And before we get to that point, I, I want to move to some things, other movements besides the push-up. We did spend a lot of time talking about push-ups. There are other things you can do at home and that we encourage you to do at home. But let's take, you know, everyone's in this case right now where... Most of us were going to gyms when we were doing our strength training and our, our lifting style training, and that's not an option anymore. So for the person who was getting really good at their barbell back squats, for example, that's really hard to replicate when you're at home. You know, I can do a hundred slow squats with both my legs on the ground in my living room and 
I'll get something out of it, but it's definitely not the same kind that uh, that stimulus that I was getting under a loaded bar at the gym. Right. And when you're doing bilateral squats with both feet on the ground, you're probably operating at 30 to maybe 50% of your your best effort. And, and that would be probably the max end is 50%. Unless again, you know, you're, you're a newbie and you're completely new to this stuff, then maybe just doing those basics are going to be enough. But for somebody who is used to lifting heavier in the gym, we'll take the squat in this example. The best thing to me is that they start to focus on single leg squats and they haven't probably been doing that much lately anyway, because they have the option in the gym of kind of going to the bells and whistles and working with the heavier weights. And and let's face it, a lot of people, they want to either go to the machines or the heavier weights or just the sexy stuff, because that's the fun stuff. And we all kind of gravitate towards those things. But when's the last time that we really focused on good single leg squats? I schooled a guy with that one time. He was the big buff guy in the gym and I was doing my weird little king squats, you know, the the single leg squat where your your ungrounded leg, that knee is supposed to tap the ground and this guy comes up and he goes, oh, "Why are you waste your time doing that?" and he goes over to his bar with, you know, 17 plates on each side and I was like, "All right, man, no wait, try one. Give it a shot." And he couldn't do it. So I was the big man at the gym that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and th- that's the interesting part to me. Because when we are talking about getting stronger and also just being preventative and and allowing our bodies to go through the proper channels and progressions that it needs, there are two sides of, of every camp. And I can see that some people do too much when it comes to body weight or single leg work or, or those kind of positions that they're constantly working on. But they need to get over to that bar. They need to start to challenge themselves. But for the most part, I would say that we can get better with our single leg strength. But I would say, Jake, that this Bulgarian squat that we've mentioned before, that's one of my favorites because you may have your back leg on the chair because you're at home or the couch and that front leg is loaded and you're coming down slow and then pausing at the midpoint where you're at femur 90 and you're holding and you're breathing in that position. And by the way, you should breathe in that bottom position. Don't hold your breath. Right, we're talking about not, you just your body weight here. So we're not talking about when you have max weight and you're holding your breath and then you're exploding out of the hole and you're you know, pushing the ground away and you're trying to just get as much force as possible. This is not going to be that. And that's exactly what we're talking about. You are now doing something you haven't been doing for a while. So breathe in that position in the bottom and own that and then slowly push back out of that position. Usually the concentric will be faster. So I'll give you an example of a tempo guys with that Bulgarian squat. You'll come down, breathing in through your nose and counting one, two, three, four, five, holding, breathing while you hold, one, two, three, coming back up, one, two, breathing out. Now, that would be a 10 count. If you're counting a little bit fast, then you know maybe you lasted for, say, six seconds in a rep. If you can keep it a little bit slower or, say, one 1,000 and stick to that, you'll probably be closer to 10 seconds, but either way, it's a lot more effective and a lot slower than probably you've been doing. I bet you you've probably only been doing one to two second reps per set lately, and that's with the bilateral. So there's a lot of benefit to doing it this way. And by the way, I've established some new goals for myself with this situation we all find ourselves in. Find that silver lining. I've always wanted to be able to do Rocky push-ups. Oh yeah, right. And that the real Rocky push-ups. Not there's there's a way to fake it that I figured out a few years ago, and it still looks kind of good. But keeping my hips even and pushing the ground away and really maintaining that shoulder position that takes a ton of core strength and balance, and it's a lot more involved with my core 
than anything else. And that's one of those things that I've always really wanted to be able to focus on and do. And now I've got plenty of time and I've got a purpose to do it and it'll be fun. And I know that it'll also help with my future racing, especially for Spartan. Um, another one of my wish list things I wanted to do is really good pistol squats. Now with my prior injury, hot shotting, it's really difficult on my left side of my body to be able to do any of those kind of things with good form, but especially pistol squats. So it'll be a real challenge to see if I can get there. And it'll probably mean that I have to get a lot more creative and come up with some pretty decent progressions for myself that I'm sure will end up helping my clients in the future too. So that's something that I am really looking forward to doing. I want to be able to also work on my spear throwing, Jake. Oh, that's fun. And that's for Spartan. Guys, I've, you know, this is another subject we'll talk about more in future podcasts, but very interesting stuff. I was talking to Joe Whelan. Joe, if you're out there listening right now, man, he was one of my guys that worked with me from high school and all the way to the professional level as a pitcher. The first day he came in to see me, he was, he couldn't even fill out, you know, those Under Armour shirts that are supposed to be skin tight on you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he couldn't fill that out. It was draped off of him like a curtain. It was hilarious. And, you know, now you see the guy and he's just, I mean, he's just a, just solid muscle and, and a, uh, he's a professional pitcher now 13 years. So proud of him. I can't believe I got to be a part of his process, but we were talking about how important overhead throwing is and how that was actually something that helped us hunt better. So we were able to put a point at the end of a spear and and hunt more effectively. And those those are the kind of things that I'm thinking about more now when we're in this position. So I you know I have a few old hay bales go out there in the middle of nowhere. By the way, there's a client of mine, Les Nesbitt. Talked to him about a hello Nes. Thankfully, uh, I know him and he has some ranch property that he's allowing me to throw some spears at some hay and just having fun with it. And you know what? This is also another goal to develop some more accuracy in my throw, which means I also need to develop more stability, which is only going to help with my overall shoulder health, long-term health. And so, you know, just that's another single arm approach that I'm using overhead, which is my weakest area for sure. And I'm going to have to get a lot stronger to be able to get more accurate in those positions. And that's my goal. Anytime you want to call me to go throw spears, I will pick that phone call up. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's a perfect scenario because we have to stay more than six feet away anyway. Otherwise we'll spear each other. Yeah, man. That's perfect practice for social distancing. Yeah, that's something that I have never even attempted, that spear throw, Matt. So, all right, we just spent some time talking about you know, push-ups and the single leg squats, and I think that's a great alternative for people who are used to doing double leg or bilateral barbell squats. But what about the the other person, the person who is building their way up to that point? How do they take these maybe intimidating movements because, you know, a pistol squat, and if you don't know what that is, that's where it's a single leg squat and your other leg is stuck out in front of you. Uh, how do you get someone to that kind of a point? How do you make these things more accessible to someone who's maybe just getting into this for the first time because they now have the time? So Jake, taking the push-up or the single leg squat, assuming that we cannot perform this movement currently with good mechanics and we wanna plug those leaks. We have to figure out what are the better supplemental movements to help us get there. So in part, I will say, yeah, sign up for our program because we are gonna have supplemental movements that you can build into your program and get stronger. And I encourage people to do that because I really believe it can help you and we are here to help. So let's, let's try to at least start to discover a little bit more variation in our training though with supplemental movements. So we can take that single leg squat in this case and we can do a backward lunge, right? And so that may be something that we can 
do, but we're not super balanced. And when I say we're not super balanced, in other words, we're kind of wobbling around trying to find our position, our, you know, our body's awareness in space. It's not quite there. We're not used to the movement. And so that may be an indication of why we cannot do that single leg squat because we haven't developed the balance for it yet. I think that grabbing onto something and doing an assisted movement. So in this case, you can do a hand assisted lunge. Grabbing onto um, the wall even, or what, whatever's around you that's stable, your couch. The door handle. Right. Or you could even call it a hand supported movement, okay? Doing that, there's nothing wrong with getting some assistance in that movement, being able to control the movement, all right? Because I, I, there's so many times when I'm uh, trying to help clients out and I realize that what they're doing has actually been a little bit more advanced than what they were ready for, but they thought that because it they're wobbling around or because they're doing something that's supposed to help their balance that they would get better. And so, well, coach, I haven't gotten better at this movement, but I've been doing it a long time. And unfortunately, well, yeah, you've been learning how to wobble in this movement for a long time, and that's what you got good at. So slowly using some assistance, using some support, but then slowly moving your hand, let's say, away from the wall to where your fingertips are on the wall, and then maybe just a couple fingers, and eventually you're not touching the wall unless you need it, and then you're close enough to where you can use that wall again for support. That would be an example of how to progress to that backward lunge, but with a little bit of assistance, and you'll make better progress, I believe, that way. Then after that, you can maybe look at getting into that single leg squat again. Maybe the Bulgarian squat we discussed earlier would be the next step, actually. So then you can go from doing the backward lunge or even a stationary lunge, just using the wall for support, a backward lunge. Maybe that would be the next step for you where you're actually stepping back and Go, level change down, come back up. Then you might go to elevate your back foot. So the Bulgarian, like we talked about before, that's the single leg squat. And there's some support with your back leg and it's elevated, but there's some support. You can also maybe still have your hand um, against the wall, right? Supported there. But then eventually you're going to get to that single leg squat without any support. Let's just say you've been able to do a minute on the Bulgarian squat. So that's that single leg squat for three sets. Now you're going to attempt single leg squats without any support and even toward get working towards a pistol squat, something more advanced like that. You may only be able to get in one or two reps at a time before you, you get to failure. So what you want to do then is start to think about your density training. How much can you get in over the course of, say, 40 minutes that you're doing your training, your circuits? You may spread out two or three reps throughout the entire 30 minutes or so. And you might get in, let's say, five, six, seven sets of three reps. That's going to be 21 reps per leg total, not a lot, but very high quality, but you've spread it out through 30 minutes. So you're only doing a set every few minutes or so. You're obviously doing other things in between. When you're doing exercises that are more demanding, you may want to spread it out a little bit more like that. Especially when you're learning, I think. So you can keep a lot of focus that way. And you just have to check your ego and really just tell yourself that you only care about quality reps. If it's not a good quality rep, you may want to use a mirror and really be critical about how you're performing, making sure that you're satisfied with how you're performing the reps. 
and then just build and accumulate from there. So last time I did, let's say it was an average of three reps every time. And this time I'm gonna to try to average four reps every time. So I would finish with, I'm currently doing a bodyweight training version of German volume training. And in that, I started off with five repetitions on each set. That was the, the goal. Then as I got a little more fatigued, I went down to four reps. And then I finished with three reps on my last few. So I'm using archer push-ups in this example. By the way, this is part of what I'm trying to build up for so I get better to be able to do my Rocky push-ups. That's a logical progression. Yeah, archer push-ups, you guys can look that up if you want, but it's just basically a bit of a regression to the Rocky push-up, a little bit easier to do, not easy, but a little easier to do. And I was able to get in initially five reps each side, and then by the end, I was just struggling for a few reps each side. That's something that I'm able to now take as a set point. So my first day, I could see that I was able to do at least five reps, but then down to three reps as I went along. For German volume training, I go to 10 sets. So that's a little bit more advanced doing that many sets. And by the way, for most people, if you haven't been training a while, going past five sets probably isn't going to give you a lot more bang for your buck. There's a, a point of diminishing returns. What I don't do though with German volume training that I used to do is the old way of doing it was 10 reps, 10 sets. That's a lot of sets and reps. And they found that really the results of doing that versus 10 sets for five reps were about the same. Really? Yeah. So in other words, might as well just do less and get the same out of it or even get more out of it by being able to go a little bit more intense and get down to even say three reps at times. So I'm gonna take that average though of four repetitions, because I started with five and ended with three. And this next time I do it, I wanna to try to focus on being able to do four reps of my archer push-ups for each set for 10 sets and stick with four though. I'm not gonna start with five, I'm not gonna end with three hopefully. And that would be my goal then Eventually, I would be able to do five reps on each side for all 10 sets, and then I would progress the movement and start with my Rocky push-ups. So once I can get to those Rockies, though, Jake, doing the single arm push-up, I may go to the stairs and give myself a little bit of an incline and make sure I can do, let's just say, three to five reps and start that whole process over again with my German volume training but the ultimate goal, Jake, would be to say, do at least one good Rocky push-up off the floor. So even if I can only do one, then I would move over to the stairs and finish out with a couple more. So I have the intensification, but then a little bit more accumulation, which helps me to continue to get stronger. And it's a balancing act. You're trying to find the right amount of reps without overreaching. How do I know if I'm overreaching or not? It's pretty simple, actually. Soreness doesn't tell me as much, although certainly sometimes I can get a bit sore and I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I like that feeling, but it's more about whether or not at the end of my progression, I'm able to do any more than before and or if I can do a new movement like the Rocky push-up all by myself on the floor without any assistance, even if I can do say two or three reps, whereas before I couldn't do any, that's obviously a lot of progress. And then from there, I can continue to accumulate and create some new stimulus. I just don't wanna stay on rocky push-ups for six months, 
thinking that that's going to get me better at rocky push-ups. I've got to actually start off with the archer push-ups and move my way and progress my way and get to those rocky push-ups. And then once I can do those effectively, keep sprinkling them into my training and adding maybe a couple of few reps, but also realizing that now I've got to focus on doing some things I haven't done for a while so that I can get even stronger with those rocky push-ups eventually, and more importantly, so that I have the shoulder health for the overhead spear throw and the accuracy, just to tie it all in there. Right, so otherwise you would just be really good at really bad rocky push-ups, and that's not the point. So find yourself a logical regression, whatever the archetypal movement is. So if it's a single leg squat, then maybe the backward lunge, you know, similar mechanic, but with a little more assistance. Find a way that you can perform it. Get your muscle memory down first. Even if it's with an assisted movement, that muscle memory will serve you in the future. Matt, that was really good. And I think that we got a lot of ground covered today for people who are sitting at home, needing some motivation and some inspiration really to get them through the dark times. And uh, hopefully when it all is over and, and done, we'll, we'll all be better and healthier for it. I love it, man. And I really appreciate everyone continuing to listen to us. And we haven't been able to get into the studio right away. But the silver lining, guys, is that we are able to really focus and niche down on what you guys need the most. And I've been able to really get great feedback, respond to that. Aaron, my wife, Jake, of course, Billy Haug, all of these teammates of mine been able to help us to make a better version of our product for you. And that's all coming out. This is all stuff that we want to get better and serve you better with. So we appreciate you listening. We love all the feedback. Keep sending us the emails and make sure that you are subscribed to our Pandola Project newsletter, guys. Check it out. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. And hey, email us in your questions, pandolaproject at gmail.com. Thank you all so much. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening.